Hey there, welcome to season one of Liminal Spaces podcast. My name is Debbie. Here we talk about the impact of liminal spaces in our lives, why they matter, and how we can navigate and thrive when we bump up against them. Over the past few weeks, I have been in many conversations about relationships, the kind of relationships we have with ourselves, with other people, and with God. As the world slowly begins to breathe again, I thought it would be helpful to gain some perspective on ways we can think about and approach healthy relationships. So I reached out to Dr. Matt Rollins to talk about thriving relationships in times of change and uncertainty. Matt is a process consultant, coach, teacher, and experienced educator. The thoughts he shares stem from his extensive cross-cultural experiences working with people from around the globe. Welcome to the show, Matt. I'm really excited to have the opportunity to talk with you today. Good. I'm glad to be here. How are you doing? I mean, just before I hit record, I was asking you how long the lockdown has been in Singapore. What is life like for you this past month with the whole pandemic? Well, being an introvert, it's really not as bad as for most people because I don't, I spend about 80% of my day normal anyway. So <laughs> uh, it's, it's not horrible. It's just they closed my gym down, so I can't go to the gym. And mm-hmm. To go shopping, it's a bit of a hassle because they take your temperature and now you've got to sign in and wear a face mask to do any form of outside walk-in or anything. So those are the hassles. But for the most part, um, it's pretty normal, I would suppose. It's not terrible, but it's not fun either. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. So, Matt, you have uh, an extensive life, work, study experiences, uh, exploring healthy relationships, uh, and you've written a number of books about it. Uh, You've spoken about it. Help us paint a picture of what a thriving relationship looks like and why that's important. Mm, Good question. Years ago, uh, I've been in missions for about 10 years. And uh, went back to the U.S. I was a bit tired. And I can remember one time when we were back in the U.S., I went for a, a run. And while I was running, the uh, I didn't want to stop and talk to these people. So I just actually turned around and ran the other way. And when I turned around and ran the other way, I just had this kind of divine sense that uh, I wasn't running from them. I was running from myself. And that really started me on a journey because a, a healthy relationship begins with a healthy soul. In other words, in order for you to have a healthy relationship, you first have to have a healthy soul. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I, it's been a journey um, in the one sense, just to try to get healthy and comfortable in my own skin. It's been try, a process to try to um, slow down enough to, to recognize, own, and, and, and be clear about what's going on inside of me. And so that, that's really the first part, um, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. It doesn't say love your neighbor and then try to put up with yourself. Um, so, so for me, that's really the starting place. It begins within, within me and my ability to get comfortable in my own skin um, means that I'll, I will be comfortable in engaging someone else. And so that's, that's been probably the journey for the last 40 years, um, 
Mm-hmm. And I fell in love with God and started to love something more than myself. So that was that was kind of the starting place for me in this journey. Yeah, that's that's so amazing to hear. I often feel like we detach loving other people from ourselves. It's just something that is external. It's kind of like, oh, I want to know learn how to love people. Like I don't really like myself, or even like not talk about loving myself. But I want to love other people, and to hear you paint that picture of if we don't have a healthy soul or that's kind of where the starting point is, is it's a, it's a really important reminder. Yeah. A lot of times it seems like, you know, when we've got a kind of a wounded or a broken soul, what we, if we're not careful, what we end up doing is we ask people to meet our needs. And so we go into a relationship with this kind of a need deficit and, um, and then we start to look to them to meet their needs. And then the other people feels the expectations and then realize they have their own issues going on. And so they realize they can't meet the expectations. And then you get all kinds of scenarios that start to play out in that process. Mm. So, yeah, um, most of the core things, God can use other people to meet the needs, but the people can't meet those needs primarily. Yeah. Yeah, it's no small challenge for us. Relationships are a pain, but they're a good pain. <laughs> yes. So uh, liminal spaces, which is kind of what we're experiencing on a global scale, we've been launched into this time of uncertainty and change. And oftentimes those changes uh, bring up grief, right, and pain and suffering. And I was reading somewhere, I think it was about a month ago, that contrary to what we often believe, that pain and grief changes us, that it's really that it exposes us or it reveals us, the the writing said. And I thought that was so fascinating. And in your book, you wrote about that as well, in courageous relationships in uncertain times, uh, echoing that, that thought that change exposes us. Speak a little bit about that to us. Uh, what, what does that mean? Yeah, good question. Um, what you're really talking about is a starting place. In other words, where do you begin mm. to move towards wholeness? And if I, if I think what is outside causes what's inside, then in order to deal with the stuff inside, I have to change what's outside. And so, for instance, in the simplest terms, if I say, if you're bothering me, if I say, Debbie, you're a pain in the butt, and, you know, whatever, you know, I say that. And, and so I get kind of ruffled up about it. Then the only way to deal with the getting ruffled up is to try to change you. And we know from it's, pre, it's pretty clear that when you try to change someone else, it doesn't usually work. It doesn't really turn out too well. And, and trying to change the world to, to meet my needs is really probably not the best strategy. So part of the, this process for us is to slow down and realize that when I'm in a difficult situation, of course, someone else can influence you. You can walk up and you can hit me in the arm and, and I can be influenced by the pain in my arm. But you can't make me feel a certain way or respond a certain way. And I've got to figure out how to own because from my nose to my toes is my space. And uh, when, I, when I realize that... I, you, I may not be able to change the world out some outside of me, but I can change the world inside of me. And I have full given God-given authority to, to oversee my internal world. Then it gives me hope because then I can start to <clears throat> define, change, engage life, and not have, be captive to it. Because the, 
when it starts outside of you, you're a victim. I am a victim to your behavior. I'm a victim to this COVID-19. I'm a victim to government shutting down. Now I'm stuck in a house. I'm a victim. How am I? And it doesn't get us anywhere we want to go. So the, the real challenge for us is, you know, um, what was it, Viktor Frankl and his logos therapy, when he studied uh, people in the World War II camps, and he realized that those who considered what is outside of them in the prisons um, died much quicker than those that said, you can put me in a prison physically, but you can't take away my peace, my mm. ability to define life. Um, and so that this, this sense of being able to define life is core to what it means to be human. And therefore, even though now I'm in a house, I'm, you know, I'm isolated and, and outside, I still get to determine how I'm going to respond to it. I still get to say, okay, you can put me in a house and you can make me wear a mask when I go outside, but you don't get to define how I view life. And how I view life is that is that faith, is that meaning, is that leverage point that allows me to be able to look at life in a new way and say, okay, what am I going to do about this? Mm. Um, what seed of greatness has God got in this moment or in this situation? That if I plant it and nurture it, it will produce something richer and greater than the pain in this situation. Mm. So yeah, it's a, it's a huge step, but it's um, in one sense, and in another sense, it's really a very a small, you just change your perspective. It's not, I don't get to change you, but I do get to change myself. And as soon as I do that, then I open the door for an opportunity to be able to say, okay, now what do I want? Mm. And then I can begin to work through the argument then. Yeah, that's amazing. From your experiences, what what is a healthy approach to a healthy relationship? Yeah, well, part of the Probably the language I would use for a healthy relationship. Um, I mean, there's obviously a variety of different aspects. I mean, you can look at um, values, which would be a core one. You can look at personality and the dynamics of personality. You can look at just, you know, fin- physical, gender. Those are all pieces of it. But I, <clears throat> those are things in many ways, except for maybe values, we don't have much control over. In other words, I have a personality and the personality is just what it is. So... The grid that I look at easiest for me would probably be a grid of humility. So I, I use three three pieces of humility. Um, Andrew Murray said, um, creation center saint. But because I work in the workplace, I've got to use a different language. So I use the word limited, broken, and, and gifted. And uh, so three expressions of humility. So in any relationship, there's going to be what are the limitations? Where are boundaries? What are What do I not know? What is it okay not to know? So there's going to be a, a limiting factor to it. And the second one is brokenness. I've got to know what my brokenness, and it sure helps if you know what your brokenness is. Mm-hmm. And then we can start to interact around how that brokenness is manifesting in the relation, how to limit it, or how to, to kind of work it in a different way. And then the third area is gifted. Each one of us is unique. So each relationship is going to have this this variation of these three things that work in it. And to understand it is really important because I may say things because I don't understand. I may have made some assumptions. I may say something and speak out of my brokenness, or I may say something and speak out of a strategic. So let's say I'm out of a gift. So let's say I have a strategic gift. And so in that strategic gift, I'm, I'm starting to think, well, what if? And I'm starting to think three or four um, steps down the road where you you're thinking more in the moment. So those two different gifts are going to see uh, out of that relationship very differently. So so it depends a little bit on <clears throat> those three factors for me, that if I can embrace that we're both humble, 
finite. If I can embrace that we're both broken and I can embrace that we're both gifted and have a unique perspective. Let's just say the odds of the relationship working are a lot more than if those three threads are missing. Why do you think we are bad at relationships, Matt? I mean, you spoke a little bit about it at the beginning, that it starts with a healthy soul. But help yeah. us understand a little bit more. What, what is it about relationships that makes it so difficult? Well, you know, we got a long history of it. And I, I love to go back to Genesis. I love hanging out in Genesis. And in Genesis, as soon as Adam and Eve take of the fruits, their relationships changed. And so the thing that gets us into trouble, and, and you know, we didn't say it, but it's an assumption that I make is oftentimes our ability to relate to other people and ourselves in one sense is really intricately intricately related to our ability to relate to God. And because we're made in his image, when I lose my ability to understand and relate to God, so Adam hides, and as soon as he hides from God, his relationship with Eve is now in trouble. Why? Because he's he's lost a perspective, a covering, a, 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 an authority or a, a safe place um, and the world is not a safe place. And as soon as we lose that safe place, then our relationships are going to struggle. So because of our brokenness, we will struggle with relationships. And that doesn't have to be a negative. That could be a good way to grow up. I mean, you can't say, well, okay, then just give up on relationships because they're going to be hard. Or you could say, well, this relationship is going to cause me to grow up and I'm going to learn new things and I'm going to... Um, become more whole through this, irregardless of what happens with it. And again, it begins within. But uh, and in the bigger picture of things, the relationships begin in our relationship with God. So who we think he is defines who I think I am. Who I think I am defines who I think you are. Who I think you are defines how we're going to relate. It gets really complicated because the first thing Adam lost was his picture of God. You know, the life to the, and the serpent to the woman was... Um, has God really said? So Satan basically accuses God of being selfish. And as soon as Eve believes the lie, she's twisted. She's, she has lost perspective um, mm-hmm. on life. And so relationships, which are meant to be something of God shared in us, because we've lost the safety of God, now become something of us shared with us. And it, mm-hmm. it, it, we're not big enough or good enough to be able to handle it. So it does make it rather confusing. Yeah, rich thought. A few weeks ago, uh, a friend of mine posted something about, you know, he said marriages are going to end soon, you know, like, or families are going to be even more broken these days because you, you take away kind of the escape, which is work. And then all of a sudden, people don't have any place to hide or to run to. In this moment that we find ourselves in, you know, that we have to kind of face the brokenness of our relationships or if we're finding a relationship particularly difficult, what would be a good framework to start kind of practically approaching how to heal or restore that relationship? Yeah, I mean, you really can view the pandemic in a couple of different ways. You can you could go, oh, you can be pessimistic and go, wow, it's going to get worse. Um, and, and I think I heard somewhere that violence is actually escalating now because, you know, and those type of things. But that's that's the negative side. The positive side is, okay, God's going to use it. And he's not afraid of the, the pain. 
because mm. maybe that's what we need to wake up. So oftentimes we go, we view a relationship, we go, if this other person would just fill in the blank, then the relationship would get better. But but notice what we've done. We've subconsciously slipped, slipped into this idea that goes, if they would change, then I could have a deeper relationship with you. And I, I, don't, I don't buy that. Um, yes, people can be silly, fools, broken, and the whole other, you know what I mean? And we all are. I have my own broken pieces in this process. But the the point is, in order, I go back to the original point. The point is, if if I am in a bad relationship, I can't change the other person, and I have to think, okay, what can I do? It doesn't mean I let them hit me. It doesn't mean I just encourage foolishness. I have to work at healthy boundaries. So one of the first things that you've got to start to do is know what your boundaries are. In other words, this is where I end and this is where you begin. I'm not going to manipulate you to try to get you to make choices that would make me feel good about myself. I'm going to own my boundaries and my space, and this is my space, and and I'm going to own this. And and to the degree that I can do that, that to that degree can I enter into a relationship and, and have a quality relationship. And so really the beginning place for a relationship Um, is saying, what is this relationship revealing about me? Mm. It might reveal that I'm afraid of disappointing you. It might reveal that I'm afraid of rejection. It might reveal aspects of shame. It might reveal that, um, you know, and we could make a list. And usually it's not too long of a list, but because, you know, brokenness is pretty common for all of us. But the beginning place is, okay, I can't change this other person, but I can change me. I can't change, you know, even if, if, if we were, say, in a family, uh, let's say I'm a father in a family, I can't change my son, but I can change how I interact with my son and how I speak to him and how I engage him and how I create healthy boundaries mm-hmm. and how I either quit trying to treat him like my father treated me or how I quit trying to treat him like he's a victim or I quit trying to control his choices and take him away from him so that he has no choice and start to go, okay, how can I interact with this person in a different way? And by doing that, the relationship automatically begins to change. As soon as I change, then the other person will begin to change because um, as an option. And it, and it is usually true that when I begin to change, they have to change to interact with me in a different way. And it's far easier to try to change someone else than it is to try to change myself. Mm. Um, because I, I realize when I get within, it's tough. it's tough to deal with those pieces that are inside of me mm. that... Um, they're not doing well. Yeah. What are you learning about the dynamics of relationship? Like if you look at your own life with yourself and with others. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, because I work with people that are stuck or organizations that are stuck or in my executive coaching or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and with some senses, as Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. Um, but in some senses, you know, there's always different tweaks and, and, responses that people have. I suppose as I get a little bit older, I'm 62, um, the thing I suppose I start to discover is um, the broken pieces inside of me are probably far deeper than I ever really realized. My fear, I've got some twinges, shames, disappointment, fear of rejection, fear of being alone, you know, all of those things. I suppose the, the biggest thing I'm learning about myself and even in working with people is we really have no idea, you know, how broken we are. I I think of Paul near the beginning of his ministry. He called himself the least of the apostles. 
a little bit later in his ministry, he says he's the least of the saints. Near the end of his ministry, he said he's the worst of all sinners. Mm. And so he goes from being a man born at the wrong time, which means he should have been an apostle, to the least of the saints, which is, you know, a category of, of step down. And then in the end of his life, he begins to realize as he's confronted with himself and his own righteousness, you know, because as he would say, as to the law, blameless, as, you know, Jew, Pharisee, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. All of these things he was, you know, and then and then um, I count them all you know, dung in a sense of gaining what is I found in Christ. So there's, I think what the crisis reveals in me and us is that we're far more broken. You know, these systems that are being shut down, the problem isn't the systems. Yeah. The problem is the people in the systems. And until the people start to own the systems, I mean, the Bible says we love darkness. And what does that mean? It means... We don't want to own our shame. We don't want to own our life. We don't want to be be accountable for our choices. And so this this process is is challenging. I mean, it's 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 a big step. And and people, you know, we we jokingly, I, I do a coaching sessions on. Uh, I invited a group of people to do a coaching session to go a little bit deeper mm. for one night a week for. for four weeks and it's slowing down and I ask questions. I do a little bit of coaching with them. And in the one sense, you know, cause in this group that I have, I've got one person, I think from Indonesia, um, an American who grew up in Indonesia from working in Italy. Um, let's see, Swiss, English, American. Yeah. So you, you get a whole broad spectrum. And in another sense, the things that, when we de- when we really get down to what the heart issues are, people aren't that different. We we, we might use different words to highlight our pr- particular preference or fear, but it's um, we're very similar in many of our ways. And so you can be locked down in <clears throat> in a small tribe in Brazil, or you can be locked down in a resort in England, or you know stuck in a hut in wherever and the challenges that you will be confronted with as a human being will be the same mm. or very very similar uh, once you get outside of food and housing you know the basic needs your the, the fears the frustrations the uh, will be very similar for humanity so in one sense this humanity is struggling with the same issue all around the globe mm. um, and all of our you know in a group culture I'll feel left out I'll need to connect uh, in an individualistic culture. I still will want to connect. I just, you know, I, I need to find expression. So each culture will have its own variations, but similar, it'll be pretty. It'll be pretty much the same. Yeah, that's really good. Such rich thought. What else do you think we could be thinking about in terms of gaining perspective? You know, it's it's a dangerous thing to fall in love. And uh, when I when I fell in love with God, um, you know, because in one sense. Self-love, when you only love yourself, you don't have a great enough love to change yourself. Because when you peek inside and you discover that you're broken, what greater, you know, you're afraid. And, and so you, you can't change yourself because you have no greater love. But when you fall in love with something outside of yourself, mm. and the greatest love, of course, would be a love for God. When I fell in love with God, it was very dangerous. I had no idea how dangerous it was. Because what it means is that I loved something or someone more than myself. And when I fell in love with God, I realized that 
even though I may not want to change in some areas of my life, I wanted to change for him because I loved him and I didn't want to disappoint him or hurt him. And, and so this, this, one of the most powerful influences in the world is not fear, but it's love. And, and so part of what I think the discipline of this time is, is spending time with God. If, and, you know, on a, on a side note, I, I'm writing, I'm doing devotionals, and I'm doing kind of a quarantine series. I'm on my 35th one or something right now. But, mm-hmm. but it's these last years I've been thinking about devotions and, and how do we love God and who is God and how do I put it into a devotions and, mm-hmm. and really kind of wrestling with it. And I, I have to say that, that you know, the, the, the process of, of loving God, of thinking about him and who he is and how to put it into words has really stirred my heart a new and a fresh over these last years. Um, and so find something, you know, to love more than yourself. And of course that would be uh, God, I would say is by far the best one, but let's say you can't, or you're not willing to do that, then find a, a lesser love, but start there, find someone who's poor or hurting or find someone who's less blessed than you find something to give thanks for, and then start to, to give, to help to, you know, to someone else. And what you'll find in yourself is awakening up because the love outside of us awakens something inside of us. Mm. And so begin, begin with those that are hurting or in trouble. That's why I did this coaching thing. I thought, okay, I need to find a way to work with people. And I'm not an extrovert, so I'm not very good at just kind of going out and hanging out with people. And besides, it's not allowed. Mm. So, okay, let's do it online. Let's develop a, a process online where I, I can give my skills and capacities and help other people who might be hurting and help them to go deeper and and to work through it. So find a greater love, or at least right now, let's just say I'm struggling in my relationship with God. Well, deal with it, but on a side note, um, find someone around you who's hurting. And when you give yourself to them um, and they have no way to pay you back, um, then you've started loving something other than yourself. And anytime you love something other than yourself, you open up the door for being more authentic, more whole, and growing in capacity within yourself. Oh, I love that thought. The thought that we can reach outside of ourselves, that we don't have to focus so much on our world and isolate, but to reach out to to God, to other people, that that whole picture I think is really holistic and healing in many ways so powerful Matt I have random questions for you you've been given an elephant you can't get rid of it what are you going to do with it shoot (laughs) well being as though the elephant wouldn't even fit in my house and I live in an apartment complex in Singapore and it's a city state with a nation I have no idea you know the proverbial saying is I eat it one bite at a time. Mm, that's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> but then I'd still have a whole big stinking dead elephant because I don't want to be taking a bite out of a live elephant in my house because he'd just <laughs> bore us all to death. So I'd have to kill him and then I'd have a thousand pound or two thousand pound elephant dead in my house for a year. And I, yeah. you know, so okay, well I I have to genuinely say I'd let him go out and graze in our neighborhood until the neighbors rose up and kicked me out of here. How's that for a random thought? (laughs) I have another one. 
Um, okay. What image of God do you have in your mind? Now? Yes. That's a good question. The, uh, I think I, I'm, I'm kind of a kinesthetic learner, so I, I don't really have an image, to be honest. Mm. I have more of a feeling. Mm. Uh, one of the blogs I was just writing on uh, feeling, the ache, the, the, you know, this ache within. And uh, so, yes, I would put it into words and, and image-wise. I don't know visually because I just, I literally have no visual representation. But at a, at a grid, at a heart-wise language, it's, I think, the image I have of someone, something that is, is even beyond words, but is so pure, that is so glorious, that is so wonderful and beautiful and humble and extravagant and and disciplined and and long-suffering and broken and vulnerable all wrapped into this all-powerful package for lack of a better word um is creates a feeling of awe a deep sense of of wonder of of absolute what did winky say um or I think he called one of his series Absolutes of Wonder. And I, I think that's probably the best words that I could use, this, this sense of an, uh, the absolutes of wonder of, of a God who would come and meet with us and care about a virus that we're struggling with or care about economies and teachers and arts and colors and to have thought through it at infinite detail and, you know, primary colors and then, all the other colors where we can see a million or how many millions of colors. And yet there's only what, three to five primary colors. And so him, for him to create a a whole grid that goes, okay, I'll work with three, but then I'm going to make it variations of that so that you'll be able to see multiple millions of it. And I'll do it in such a way that you will enjoy it through a visual, you know, your retinas capturing the colors and, you know, and all of these things going on. So it's it's more of a at a feeling set of just complete and absolute wonder mm. of who he is and that the privilege I have of um, being a part of this family. Oh, that's powerful and beautiful. Well, thank you for sticking with my random question. You mentioned earlier that you do a series of devotionals, which is um, amazing how can people follow that or connect yeah. you well right now i just do an email devotions on um, it's called brokentopleadership.com they can go there and there's they can sign up for emails there they can sign up or unsubscribe there so they're in charge of that process mm-hmm. uh, it's a it's a daily devotional that goes out via email and i'm also trying to set it up with an app now on telegram that people can get it on telegram as well on a daily basis and so yeah if they want to hang out with me and i try to do it so it's 300 words or less so you can read it in 2 to 3 minutes at most mm. but it hopefully gives people something to think about and then the quarantine series i have going on right now i actually tack another part of more personalized piece at the bottom of it some mm. of the things that are going on inside of me and my own struggles at this time so, yeah, if anybody wants to join, they're welcome to. I'd love to have them be involved with that and stay mm-hmm. connected through that. Thank you so much, Matt. Um, really, really rich thoughts. I The first time I met you was in 2010, and I never forget it. Like, it's you've had such a significant impact on my life and the way I think about things and about life and about God and about the people 
Um, so I'm just really, really blessed today to be able to sit down with you. Well, thank you for making the space. I love your heart. I got to figure out how to come visit you in your new location. Yes, absolutely. A healthy relationship begins with a healthy soul. I love that thought. And the challenge of approaching relationships through the greed of humility is truly humbling. I hope you can take some time to reflect on a question, a phrase, or thought that resonates with you and is applicable in your own life. Be encompassed by love and always remember that even though none of us can control everything that happens to us, we can all control how we respond.